Good evening, everyone. Thanks for hanging in there with us across this weekend. It's wonderful that you're here tonight. Just to, to let you know, I uh, have no intention of detaining you too terribly long this evening. Please don't say, you, someone said amen. That, that was not the right time to say amen. You all were supposed to go, oh, but thank you. Thank you. Uh, but you know, I, I've said to my wife, oh, this is going to be a very, very short sermon. I've said that to her several times. And that's for her. She just understands that already. She knows what that means. She knows that it means irrespective of what he says, this is going to be a long one. But I can tell you with some, uh, at least with some sincerity, that we don't intend to be here too long. I've been encouraged that we've been able to come to the Bible together these past few days. Uh, if you attended the seminars this afternoon, I, I, I fully expect that you were blessed. I know there was a wonderful lineup of, of uh, tremendously stimulating, challenging, thought-provoking, and helpful seminars this afternoon. Um, and I bet you were blessed by that. I'm thankful that this opportunity has been presented to us this weekend. You know what I'm going to do? I mentioned this last night because someone mentioned it to me on the way in, a young gentleman named Brandon. I'm going to mention to you uh, a, a, a daily devotional available at the It Is Written website. It's only 60 seconds long, except for some Sabbaths where we make it 120 seconds long. That's, we really stretch it out. Uh, the devotional is called Every Word. And um, if you were to go to the It Is Written website, you could view it. It will only take you 60 seconds. And then, if you felt like this could be a blessing to you or to others with whom you might like to share, you might go to uh, this little box down there, I hope you see it, where it says subscribe, and you click in there, and then we'll send it to your email inbox um, every day. And you can have it just like that. I would be very grateful if you would pray for the ministry of It Is Written. We have been in existence for 56 years, and, uh, you know, that, that um, for some people that's a recommendation, and for others it makes you sound like Buick. So uh, I'm hoping it's a recommendation. Um, pray for us. God has brought some very exciting opportunities to us, some evangelism opportunities that we're excited about, some international evangelism opportunities that have the capacity to be groundbreaking, some new initiatives that we believe have the capacity to influence souls en masse and even be a blessing to uh, the, the, uh, division-wide or worldwide as God develops a couple of programs that we have in mind. So uh, just at some stage, if you run out of things to pray for, if you could ask God to bless the ministry of It Is Written, I would be tremendously grateful for that. Um, it would be a wonderful thing. Well, we have uh, one last opportunity to go to the Bible together. And we shall uh, pray first and then proceed expectantly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come to you this evening once more in this GYC Southeast conference. And I am thankful that we have been able to discuss a new beginning and talk about the God who is the God of the new start the God who is um, 
the one who is able to and willing to live his life in us. So, Lord, would you do that, please? Do that in our experience and do it tonight. Bring to our minds your thoughts, your will, your intentions. We thank you for doing that. We pray your blessing. Uh, We recognize that we are unworthy. And so we pray that you would work. And we pray in Jesus' name. Please say, Amen. Nineteen ninety-seven. A little girl named Delamar Vera was ten days old. Her family lived in a two-story row house in North Philadelphia. Ten days before Christmas, a fire broke out in the family home, and the mother, panic-stricken, I do not mean to intimate that she lost her, her, her mind or was not in control of her faculties, but I'm just saying she was panic-stricken, as you might imagine, ran around the house gathering up that which was most precious, her children. But when she ran into Delamar's room, she could not find her 10-day-old princess. The mother, whose name was Luz Cuevas, was overcome by smoke. She had suffered burns. She even had burns on her face. Can you imagine the anguish that she experienced when she made that difficult decision to leave the house without her 10-day-old daughter. Can you imagine that? She had to do it. For her survival's sake, she had to get out of the house. Just try to imagine, if you can, leaving behind one of your children, should you have children, or should you have siblings, leaving behind a little brother or sister. I mean, there are possessions you have that if you had to leave them behind in a burning house, that would just, just ruin you. I mean, just ruin you. Just possessions. And she left behind a 10-day-old daughter. Her other two children survived. And fire investigators ruled, declared, that 10-day-old Delamar had perished in the blaze. But her mother did not believe that didn't believe it. Now, you know, maybe she was just in denial. I mean, for goodness sake, this is one of her children. Nobody wants to believe that. Maybe she was just um, being irrational. Maybe this is what a mother will do when confronted with the specter of the loss of a child. Maybe, 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 maybe. But Luz believed her child did not die. She, she knew it. She just knew that somehow her child didn't die in that fire. And then, eight or so years later, mom is attending a birthday party for a neighborhood child. And while she's at that party, interacting and mingling with the adults and the children who were there, 
she spotted a child that she felt like she recognized. She said, could this be my baby girl? Well, how are you going to prove that? You can't just ask an eight-year-old girl, where were you on the night of the 15th of December, 1997? You would have been 10 days old, do you remember? So what do you do? Here's what she did. She went over to the little girl and she said, oh, excuse me, I believe you've got some gum in your hair and if you'll just help me, I think I can get it out for you. Ow. Sorry, are you okay? Uh, it's all taken care of. And she took those uh, strands of hair to the police, told her story and requested that DNA testing be carried out in an effort to determine the accurate and correct identity of that young girl. The testing was carried out and the tests revealed that the little girl was in fact her baby girl who did not perish in the flames but was instead snatched by what I would have to call a deranged woman hoping to raise the baby as her own. How the story ends, I am not sure. But I am sure of the facts up to that stage. And for Luz Cuevas, she believed that her daughter had been brought back to her from the dead. You know what I mean by that. Once she had been declared dead, and now the child is alive and is virtually back from the dead. You know there's nothing very nice about death. As a pastor, I have performed more funeral services than I ever imagined I would perform. I have I have seen more dead people than I thought that I would ever see. Death is an ugly business. Death is particularly sad. Death is heart-wrenching. As a matter of fact, I attended a memorial service right here just this afternoon for somebody who had passed away I'm going to say in tragic circumstances. That is, after a good and long and very dedicated, devoted Christian life lived, still this gentleman had to endure a battle with cancer. I'm telling you, death is just not pretty. It's a shame to me that it even exists. The Bible says that death is an enemy. It came because of rebellion against God. It is just bad business. But as that old saying goes, and if I can use it here, really, this is it's almost a flippant way to use the saying, every dark cloud has a silver lining. Death is just about the darkest of dark clouds that there is. But it has a silver lining. The Bible says... The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in 
Christ shall what? Rise. They will rise first. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. The Bible makes clear that one day there's going to be a great getting up morning. There'll be a resurrection when the sleeping saints are going to come forth from their dusty beds. And through Christ, they are going to live again in a place, thank God, where there will be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any pain. By the goodness of God, the former things one day we can say will have passed away. You see, there'll be folks back from the dead and they will be able to live eternally. Now, I want to tell you something. This resurrection business, it's especially good news. Now, from a preacher's point of view, I've got to tell you something. I hope you don't think this is perverse, but the fact of the matter is, as a preacher, I quite like doing funeral services. I just do. Especially for people who don't really understand what happens in death. Because those who don't really understand what happens in death come to funerals and they hardly even know what to think. I recall when my own father died and I was there. I was there when he died. He died in my arms, as a matter of fact. And uh, it, was just, it, was, it was just before the funeral when all of my siblings were together. And those of us who understood what the Bible says about death, we were, had some peace about it. And those who didn't were really, they, they were struggling. I cannot know the exact nature of their struggle, but it's curious that those who understood what the Bible said didn't battle. I, I recall when my father died, we, uh, instead of sending him off to the funeral home to stay until the funeral, we sent him to the funeral home to be embalmed or whatever, and then we brought him back to the house. And he lay in a casket on the bed in, in, in a front bedroom in the house. And it was a curious sort of a thing to do, but I think we were influenced. It just, it's just, it just how uh, really the native New Zealanders tend to, that is the Maori people, tend to treat death much like that. And it was a bit like a, a, bit like a wake, really, and we we're Irish by extraction, so it, was, it just seemed to be the right thing for us to do. It just seemed to be that way. And so Dad was there until the morning of the funeral where his casket and, and him were taken to the church, which was just up the street, and, and he was buried from there. And so the bed was available again. And we had tons of people staying. And I had had to sleep on the floor. And so when the casket was removed and dad was taken away and was now resting in another place in the cemetery uh, a mile up the road, I mean, wouldn't you? And I was thankful to, to, to recline and rest in that bed that night. And it was in the evening and I was in the bed and I was thankful to be getting a good night's sleep, not on the floor. And my brother came into the room and he looked at me and he looked at the bed and he had one of these looks on his faces and he shook his head and he said, better you than me, little brother. He wouldn't sleep there because dad's dead body had been there. I had news for him. It wasn't such bad news. Dad was resting then, resting still. He's resting now in the blessed hope that one day Jesus will come back and the dead in Christ shall rise. Ugly business, death, but the good news is Jesus is coming back soon and the dead in Christ will rise. They will have experienced a resurrection. Now here is a truth 
everyone who ever gets out of this world and into the world to come will have experienced a resurrection. That's just the truth. Now you say, I understand that in the case of those who are dead and have been raised from their dusty beds, but what about those of us who are alive and we think we have a fair chance of being translated without seeing death? I go back to my original statement. Everybody who passes from this world into the world to come, I shouldn't have used that word passes, everybody who gets from here to there will have experienced a resurrection. And that's a good thing because God is good at resurrections. If you look in the Bible, there are loads of people who came back to life from the dead. Elisha raised the Shunammite woman's son. Jesus raised the son of the widow of Nain, the daughter of the ruler of the synagogue. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus came forth from the tomb. He was raised from the dead. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest evidences in favor of the gospel is this business of resurrection power. God is able to raise the dead, and there is good news. God is going to raise the dead. All of us need to experience the power of His resurrection if we intend to inherit everlasting life. All of us. I would like for you to turn with me in your Bible to, let's say, Romans chapter 6. Let's go there. Romans chapter 6. Now, I'm going to start reading from verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You understand the context if you read up a few verses. God forbid, Paul says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his what? Into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, or that is from now on, we should not serve sin. Now here's what the Bible says. The Bible teaches that when a person comes to Jesus Christ in faith, and accepts by faith Christ's life in the place of her or his own, when we confess our sins and repent and come to God to have him perform on us that heavenly heart surgery. The Bible makes clear that what takes place or what should take place is a death, a death. The old us ought to die and there ought to be a new us brought into existence. This is why the Bible uses words like mortify when talking about the old man. That is the person you were before you come to Jesus. That person, according to the Bible, needs to die. And in its place, God raises us up to walk in newness of life. Knowing this, oh, I read that verse, verse 7. He that is dead 
is freed from sin. Now, I could read every verse here. Oh, I will then. I'll just read every verse from here to the end of the Bible. (laughs) Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now, here's 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 the verse that I want to zero in on here, and here's the point. We're talking about a new beginning here. A new be- that's the theme for this conference this week, a new beginning. And friend, Christianity is not about you coming to Jesus and being modified. I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago, these television programs became very, they were everywhere, and they were dealing with uh, houses that were being home improvement television programs. And they would buy houses and do them up and sell them, or just buy houses and renovate them, or they'd come to your house and renovate your house. There was a thousand different variations on the theme. And so then church signs started reflecting this idea. And it was, come to church for a complete makeover. Right? Some of these programs used words like home makeover. And you had the old house, and then when they're finished with it, it has a new coat of paint and new carpet, and they knocked out a wall, and they put in some new windows, and there's linoleum in the kitchen before when there wasn't, and the bathroom has been redone, and everything is lovely now. The house has been made over, and so the churches, and I'm not labeling everybody like this, but you would see this on church signs, come in here for your uh, complete makeover. You want to understand today that that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is not a matter of you, let us say, you bringing the house that is you to Jesus and saying, I need you to replace the windows and give this thing a coat of paint. And, and No, that's not how it goes. Coming to Jesus by faith to receive salvation is not a matter, matter of you receiving renovation. It's you receiving recreation. You would accurately or more accurately describe it by saying you would bring the house that is you to Jesus and he would just burn it down. Or he would bring in uh, one of these backhoes or a bulldozer and demolish the whole thing and cart it away and throw it in a landfill and then rebuild a new house where the old house was. Christianity, coming to Jesus in faith, is a matter of coming to him and the old us dies. Dead. And a new you is made, is created. As a matter of fact, you see this verse, we we breeze by verse 7. Verse 7 said, He that is dead is freed from sin. My margin uses the word justified, and that's fine. It's, It's one and the same thing, really. When you are dead, you are freed from sin. Now, if you found a... I shouldn't say if you found a dead person. That's not the right way to say it. If there was a dead person... How much sin do you think the dead person is committing? How much? All right, correct answer. Let's say the dead person had a smoking habit before he or she died. If you came to the dead person and offered him or her a cigarette, would he or she want to smoke it, yes or no? No, and the reason why is because he or she is right. If the person had a hair-trigger temper but is now dead, and you made too much noise in the room, or you made a mess in the room, certain things that would just set this person off when he or she was alive, would the person now lose his or her temper, yes or no? No, the reason being that he or she is what? Dead. 
Now, what if, what if there was a dead person in a room, and I don't know what the person would be doing in the room, but maybe, maybe, maybe like my dad was, and you went into that room and turned on the stereo. I don't even know if people have stereos anymore, do they? Does anyone have a stereo anymore? Or do we all just listen to everything with things in our ears? I don't even know. But if there was a stereo in the room and you turned up the music really, really loud, and maybe if you just started making a mess, had some friends over and you were tearing up the place, what would you call it if the deceased started complaining about the noise? What would you call it? Don't use weird. I know, that would, I know it would be weird. Don't use the word scary. I'm sure it would be scary. But what, what do you call it when someone was dead and now they're alive? And I don't mean because God has raised them up from the dead. What do you call, what was that now? You call that spiritualism, don't you? Would that be spiritualism? The dead person is communicating with the living. Is that spiritualism? That's spiritualism. When the dead comes back to life outside of a miracle of God, that would be spiritualism. I want to challenge your thinking a little bit here. Let's say you come to Jesus and you say, Lord Jesus, take my heart and I, I surrender to you and I want to die to self and, and, and that's it and, and, that, and I leave my sins with you and now I'm going on my way. So the old you is dead. The old angry you, the old dirty-minded you, the old selfish you, the old dishonest you, the old lazy you is dead. So what do you call it if the next day the old you comes back to life? Wouldn't you say that's akin to spiritualism? And we don't want spiritualism in the church or in our homes or in our lives. I mean, I don't want to draw too tight a bow here, but that's just like spiritualism. When you have gone to Jesus and died to self and died to sin, and then this thing, this old you comes back to life again, what are you letting the old dead you come back to life for anyway? Look, I want to get to this verse. It's Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. Verse 11 says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. We talked about that word reckon this morning. What's another word for reckon? Huh? Consider. Very good. Likewise, consider you also yourselves to be dead to sin. In fact, dead indeed, really dead to sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Don't let sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lusts thereof and so forth. Romans 6 and verse 11 gives us a key to successful spiritual living. Successful Christianity. Overcoming Christianity. That word there is consider, reckon, believe yourself to be dead to sin. And so, if you could just imagine for a moment that you had a smoking problem, and you walked into the 7-Eleven and the cigarettes are calling your name. If you believe and choose to believe that you are dead to that sin, can that sin have power over you, yes or no? It cannot, because you are dead to that sin, dead to it. When you come to Jesus and you give him your life, remember the old you is dead. 
You can believe, that's not me anymore. That's the old me. I am a new me. I have, by the grace of God, made a new beginning. A new beginning. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you will open up the door and let me come in, I will come in and we'll sit down together and dine. Revelation chapter 3, second to last verse. And you can say, now, I came to Jesus this morning. I knelt down beside my bed and I poured out my heart. I took a walk around the park and as I did, I talked to Jesus and appealed to him. Take my old heart, fill me with your presence. What happened? You've got to believe that something happened out there. Something happened. Christ took the person you were and hid that person someplace. And he remade you. He created a new you. Free from sin. Free from the old life because your life is hid with Christ in God. A new you. The old you dead. How do I know that I'm dead? Because you reckon you're dead. That's how. And so when temptation comes, you've got a choice to make. You've got to, choose, uh, you've got to choose to believe or decide whether the old you is dead or alive. Dead or alive. And so whatever that thing is, whatever that old tendency, whatever that old leaning, whatever that old habit, whatever that old hang-up was, when it, when it strives for expression and it claws at you and the old you attempts to take over the new you, there's a decision to make. Is the old me dead or alive? And if the old you is dead, then you can believe it because the Bible says it. He or she that is dead is free from sin. Reckon yourself, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to read to you a statement here that is just remarkable. You want to listen to this. This is from a book called The Desire of Ages. If you haven't read The Desire of Ages in a while, you ought to read that book. And when you get through reading it, read it again. Desire of Ages, page 668. Listen to this. I, I shared with you a quote this morning from a book called Christ's Object Lessons, and that quote started by saying, uh, um, when we submit ourselves to him, that's the one that says, the heart will be united with his heart, will is merged in his will, mind is one with his mind, thoughts are brought into captivity to him. When we submit, and the other word for submit is what? Surrender, when we surrender. All right, now, this verse starts in much the same way. Not verse, it's not a verse, it's a quote. This quote starts in much the same way. And if we consent, if we allow, if we permit, all right, I'll read it again. If we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims. So blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will. Listen now. I'm going to start again. It's just worth reading twice. If we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will, that when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. Isn't that something? Anyone ever go to a place called CC's Pizza? Is there one nearby? Is there? Excellent. And you know what it is with CC's Pizza? It's cheap, and you can eat as much as you want. 
Now I understand that all the health reformers among us will go there and pay our money and eat two pieces of pizza and say, that's enough. I confess I've never done that. <laughs> when you're eating that pizza at CC's or you're eating your whatever at wherever, you have an impulse that says, go back for more. Well, okay, I have an impulse that says, go back for more. <laughs> you know, I like to custom, I have them custom make my pizza because, you know, I, I, it's been a lot of years since I ate cheese. I don't like the stuff. And all the stuff on a buffet is cheesy. And I said to them, can you make that without cheese? And they said, yes, yes. And we'll bring you one. I said, can you bring me two? <laughs> my family is with me. Bring us two. And then when they bring us, I say, you need to bring us another one. You know, it's good for them to know this. So my impulse is to have more. And then when you get through the pizza and your, and your, and your stomach is saying, I think, I think that's about enough. The mind is saying, hmm, good pizza. And the more I eat, the cheaper it gets. More pizza. The guy's the guy wearing a track between the kitchen and your table because he walked backwards and forwards so many times bringing you pizza. And the impulse is more. And you're filled to overflowing. More. And they're going to roll you out of there and you're still saying more. That's just the impulse. You understand what I'm saying. Wouldn't it be just wonderful to come to the place where temptation comes and your natural impulse is to say no. No to temptation. Wouldn't that be cool? You get to the place where in your life, when the devil knocks at your door, you go to this and go, oh, it's you. Oh, I'm not interested. Shut the door. How about that? You know, you, we open the door and go, oh, you're looking good. Wow, what do you got? Really? Oh, I, shouldn't be I shouldn't be talking to you. But I've got this impulse, so let's talk. And, and, and yeah. Preach on. Some of us have experienced that. But instead, the devil knocks at your door, and you open it up, you go, oh. Close the door in his face and carry on and not even give it another thought. The Word of God makes clear that can be our experience. And this quote underscores that. If we consent... Christ will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, he will so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will, that when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. Sometimes obedience feels like a struggle. Sometimes it does. But the Lord says that if we continue to grow in his grace, we get to the place where obedience just comes naturally. It's what you want to do. You turn to face Jesus like a flower faces to, uh, turns to face the noonday sun. It's what you want. It's how you live. The will refined and sanctified. Now, I need to let a little air out of the balloon because you're saying, well, I hope that happens for me. And if six months from now, you're still having these battles, you're going to say, well, this doesn't work. The will refined and sanctified. I don't know if you ever read a quote that says that sanctification is the work of a what? Okay, that's good. The will refined and sanctified will find its highest delight in doing his service. Let me ask you, please don't answer. What is, what is your highest delight? What is it? Is it spending time with some special person? Is it the Super Bowl? Is it, um, is it, is it, is it CC's pizza? <laughs> What's your highest delight? Getting a 4.0 GPA, is that, the, is that the crowning thing for you? 
getting a call to ministry or a job when you graduate? What's your highest delight? This is powerful. The will, refined and sanctified, will find its highest delight in doing his service. There'll be nothing in the world that will fire you up more than being close to Jesus. Listen, when we know God as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be a life of continual obedience. You gotta love it. Through, now here's the key. Through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with him, sin will become hateful to us. Listen, friend, you don't need to be discouraged today on any level. Because if you will submit yourself to Jesus and ask him to do his work, he will grow you. He will grow you. And you'll get to that place. Now, I'm going to add something here that's, that's going to add a little more time than I wanted. Maybe I'll just be brief with this. Can I, can I just encourage you by saying this? The Christian experience is about growing in the grace of God. Did you know that? It's a growth. It's an ongoing experience. Now, sometimes this happens. You commit yourself to Jesus, and you've got the theory right, and you're praying, man, you're praying till your knees hurt, and, you, and you're, you're doing it right, and you're making changes in your life, and, 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 you, and you just collapse. You collapse in a heap of sin. And you pick yourself up, and you run to Jesus, and, or maybe he picks you up, and, and you go again, and, and before long, bam, you lost your temper, or you did something you shouldn't have done, and you say, wait a minute, this isn't right. I read the quote, uh, uh, delight in doing his service will be but carrying out our natural impulse. You know, you know what? You've got to remember that Christianity is a growing experience. I'm not trying to let you off the hook. I'm not trying to say it's okay to crash and burn. I'm not trying to say sin is okay. It ain't. But John, if anybody knew something about sin, it was John who wrote Revelation, John who wrote the Gospel of John, John who wrote 3rd John, 2nd John, and in 1st John he said this, My little children, I write these things to you so that you do not sin. That's plan A. That's how it ought to be. But you know, we're a mess. And we're inadequate and incomplete and we're faulty and we're flawed. So he wrote, if anybody does sin, that person has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now we ought to be prepared to say praise the Lord because we have an advocate with the Father. So that should we fall, Jesus is there not to condemn us but to encourage us and to pick us up and dust us off and tell us again, all right, let's go. You know, I have these children, you know, and they were both, they were both, well, they were both babies when they were born. How remarkable is that? And, and, uh, and to begin with, you know, they, they, they don't really move very much. They, they can't run. They can't drive a car. They don't, they don't, they don't ride bicycles. They, in fact, they do nothing at all. And it's wonderful because you can put the baby down and then take off like for a day and come back and the baby is still right where you left it. What I mean is you can like go to the kitchen or go to the bathroom or do something. The baby is reliable. It'll be right there. And then, and then the baby it, it learns this thing to roll. And you say, oh, that's fun. And then you go, oh, no, what are we in for now? And the baby starts to crawl and then cruise. And they say it's called cruising when they stand up and they walk around on the furniture like this. And then, and then they walk. They're not born walking. 
And Christian, I, I, I want to encourage you tonight. It's okay to talk about a new beginning. That's good. We must have a new beginning. We're going to be talking about being dead to sin, dead, living a life of continual obedience. And if three weeks from now you're saying, man, I continue to mess things up in my life, understand, if you will plug into Jesus, know him as it is your privilege to know him, continue to appreciate his character, continue to commune with him, this is called growing in the grace of God. Again, I say this because somebody's going to be furious with me for saying this somewhere. I'm not trying to let you off the hook and say sin's okay and just go right. No. But the reality is, we come to Jesus, we are born again. That means you're born a baby. And there's some learning involved. And my children, when they learned to walk, they started to walk. And you know what they did? Bam, they just fell right down. Boom. And then we said, hey, you're, you're a failure. <laughs> I picked up my son, I handed him, I said, I don't even want this child anymore. Take him back to where he came from. Trade him in for a new model. Now, you know parents don't say that. Child falls up and you go, how cute. And you pick the child and you pat him on the behind and try again. And the baby walks on. And you say, you know, this falling over business is part of what? It's part of growing. It's part of developing. So listen, friend, I'm trying to balance two thoughts here. Yes, dead to sin, alive to Christ. But understand, as you walk in this journey called Christianity, if you find yourself on the ground looking up, you got to understand that Christ is there. He'll get down there with you and say, come on, we can go again. We can go again. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he will not be utterly cast down, because the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. We serve a God who is so great that when we mess up, he has grace for us. We serve a God who is so perfect that when we are imperfect... He says, run to Jesus, and Jesus will make things right. I am thankful. The Bible says, he who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. God is good. But I want to tell you something. You know, in the, in the, in the, in the Bible, you read about the cities of refuge. Did you ever read about the cities of refuge? Joshua chapter 20. There were six cities around Palestine, and if, if you killed somebody accidentally before the family members killed you, you could run to the city of refuge and be safe. They tell me that the roads to the city of refuge were in good shape. Because if you were running to the city of refuge, you couldn't afford to twist your ankle in a pothole and, be, and just be dead meat. The roads to the city of refuge were in good shape. So if you were running to the city of refuge, and the city of refuge represents Jesus, if you were running to the city of refuge and you fell, would that necessarily be a calamity? Well, I mean, it wouldn't be good because someone is chasing you and you may skin your knee or whatever. But if you fell on your way to the city of refuge, fall towards the city. Fall towards the city of refuge. I know I kind of exposed myself tonight and opened myself up to somebody who's going to say, you can't tell people it's okay if they fall. I'm not telling you it's okay if you fall. But I'm getting real with you tonight and telling you that while you are, uh, are seeking to be dead to sin, should something happen that says to you, wow, it's not working like it should, welcome to the Christian life. 
and believe that for God's sake Christ loves you and Jesus is with you and he is your advocate, not the prosecuting attorney. I say tonight, thank God for Jesus who came down to this dark world to lift us up so that we might live, to bring us back from spiritual death and give us spiritual life to live in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure so that when we're obeying God that's what comes naturally to us you know there are some things that you come to Jesus you're going to struggle with and then before long it's gone because Jesus starts to work that out of your life let me add this too if there's something that's bothering you in your experience you can go to Jesus and say you got to take it away you got to take it away and point to something else in your life that's no longer a challenge to you Lord what you did there do here and make me new so that I'm living without that mess in my life. God specializes in that. God specializes in coming down here and lifting people up, taking them from spiritual death and bringing them to spiritual life. The privilege is ours to be dead, dead to the old life, and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a privilege. Jesus is the master of the resurrection. And he wants for you to experience his resurrection power tonight. Come to Christ and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I, I'm a sinner and I need to be a saint. And so this me just needs to die. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, I die daily. You come to Jesus every day and say, I am willing to put my desires aside and let your desires be done in my life. I'm ready to put my will aside and let your will be done. In fact, I will give you my will. I come to you so that you might do in my life what I just couldn't ever do in a thousand lifetimes. And God gives us new life in the place of spiritual death. In South Africa, in Northern Cape Province, there is an 11,000-acre reserve, a game reserve, called the Mount Carmel Game Reserve. And at the Mount Carmel Game Reserve in Northern Cape Province in South Africa, there is a hole in the ground. It's no ordinary hole. It happens to be the third deepest freshwater cave in the world. It's known as Bushman's Hole. And it's 900 feet deep. Now, I don't know why. I just don't. And the older I get, the less I understand people who want to be thrill seekers. I just don't get it. But there are people who love to deep water dive. It's their thing. The thing with that thing is deep water diving and cave diving is very, very hazardous. Oh, how long ago? I don't know. 10, 15 years ago, a young man named Dion Dreyer, 20 years old, a South African, died diving in Bushman's Hole. And then in late 2004, an Australian man, a pilot who lived in Hong Kong, his name was Dave Shaw. He was diving in Bushman's Hole and he found Dion Dreyer's body. He was in a wetsuit, he was remarkably well preserved, mostly intact. Dave decided that he would try to free Dion's body, but he couldn't do it because Dion was stuck in the mud. 
Now, Dave Shaw couldn't just stay down there because deep, deep, deep down there, it's difficult to breathe. At that depth, the air you breathe becomes toxic and something called narcosis sets in easily. They say when you're way down deep, each breath you take is akin to drinking a martini. Now, I've never drunk a martini, but I get the picture. It's like you are becoming intoxicated. They say the deeper you get, the more you breathe, the sillier you get. So Dave resurfaced. Now from 900 feet getting to the top, that takes about 10 hours. It takes about 12 minutes to get down, 10 hours to get back because you've got to decompress. You have to stop along the way so as not to get the bends. And when he got out of Bushman's Hole, Dave said, I'm going back to get my fallen comrade. I'm going to get his body and bring him out. No, they weren't friends, but there was a kinship because they were both deep water divers. And you hate to just see a dead body in the bottom of a lake or a bottom of a, of a, of a cave. Uh, Mr. Shaw spoke to Dion's parents. They liked the idea. They would get to see their son again. Not that they wanted to see uh, their son who'd been dead for 10 years in that way, but they were glad to have the opportunity to recover his body and bury him. Well, here's what happened. Dave Shaw went to the bottom of Bushman's Hole. Now, this time there were police up at the top. There were rescue personnel because this was now a body recovery operation. And down he went. We know exactly what happened because when he went down, he had a video camera attached to his head and he was recording what he did. So later on, people watching the tape discovered that this is what happened. Dave Shaw went down to the bottom of the hole and he found Dion's body. Dion was no longer stuck in the mud, but he was floating. So the first thing he wanted to do was put a body bag around this young man's body. He took the body bag out from wherever he had it and started to fumble with it. And he tried to get it on the the, the young man's dead body but it's difficult to do because it was floating around in the water. And then, peculiarly, Dave pretty well stopped doing anything. They could hear him breathing, but he wasn't doing anything. People watching the video recording started to yell, started to yell at the television set, move, man, move, do something, come up! But of course, that was just sort of an impulse reaction because by the time they got the tape, Dave Shaw had been dead for some days. He got down there, narcosis set in. Strange things happen really to the nitrogen content of your blood. And before long, Dave died. Gave his life to free someone who was stuck in the mud. The story ends with some days or weeks later, both bodies were found floating at about four or 500 feet. So they were easily recoverable and they were then buried. I thought about that story of that selfless individual who came down so far, went down so deep that he was able to see his friend stuck in the mud And when his friend was stuck in the mud, he said to himself, I just can't leave him there. People warned him, this could cost you your life. I think I'll be all right. This could cost you your life. It's worth a shot. I don't want to leave the man there. Doesn't that sound a lot like what Jesus did for us? Long ago, there was a world that was was stuck in the mud. And he didn't have to stop. 
He didn't have to do anything like that at all. Jesus could have just left this world to its own devices. He could have just crumpled it up and thrown it into the cosmic wastebasket and started again with a new world. But he didn't want to leave you stuck in the mud. And when he saw you dead in trespasses and sins, dead and stuck in the mud, he said to himself, I'm going to come all the way down there and find that dead one and bring him, bring her back to the surface. Not just to bury you again, but this time to give you new life. So Jesus came all the way down to where we were. He pulled us up out of the mud. Doing it cost him his life. But he was glad to do it because more than anything, he wanted us to live again. I wonder tonight, friend, if you would be able to say to Jesus, I want that new spiritual life. I realize in order to have it, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to put everything on the altar, surrender everything to you. But I know, Lord, if I do that, I have a new beginning. Everlasting life will be, be mine. And better than that, I get to honor the one who gave his life to save me. As the music plays tonight, please be very prayerful and sense the voice of God speaking to your heart, appealing to you to allow Jesus to give you life in the place of death. Thank you. Thank you so very much. I wonder if you would bow your head with me and we will pray together. Our Father in heaven, truly your grace is amazing. And the words of the song ask the question, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's love? Father, long ago you created a perfect earth and we, that is the human family, messed it up. And without any real compelling need to do so, other than to demonstrate your great love, you chose to give us another chance. How often we in our lives have needed another chance. Friend, tonight we have talked about the need to be dead to sin. Considering ourselves dead. No, that's not me. I'm dead to that. And alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I wonder tonight if you would ask Jesus, let me be dead to all I need to be dead to and alive in Jesus Christ to live a Christian life connected to him. If you want to do that, please just raise your hand, will you? Simple question. Do you want the spiritual life that Jesus offers you and the life that you can live through Jesus? I know I do and I need it now more than I ever have. We thank you, Lord, for offering us this great gift and these great riches. In spite of ourselves, we claim them and ask that you would allow us to live the life of faith, dead to sin, alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let it be, please, and let the day come soon that Jesus returns to take us home. Make us yours now and until then. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, 
please visit www.audioverse.org.